0: Good afternoon. Good Let's start with a word of prayer. Uh, thank you Father Lord for bringing us all together today that we can come into your presence and worship you. That we can sort of lift our hearts up to you, that we can sort of listen to your words and take them in and, and really sort of allow you to move uh, in us. I pray today Lord as I share a message that you know, these words won't be my words, but they will be your words. Uh, Father, you are incredibly gracious with all of us, and I pray for that today. In your son's name, amen. amen. Um, this sermon has come together from a number of factors, I suppose. A number of factors has cons- conspired to bring this about. Um, first is... Um, few weeks back we had David Bruce who came and he shared some sort of amazing things about mindfulness. A lot of things that really sort of touched me. Uh, second is um, this week it's been sort of well it's certainly been in the news at work is it's sort of mental health awareness week and I think this last sort of m- couple of months I've felt a bit low about things. Um, I felt just not quite right and Things weren't kind of straightforward. Uh, so I want to sort of speak a little bit about how God can sort of help us during these times. I want to share three facts uh, about sort of mental health, um, just to set the scene. Uh, mental health problems are one of the main causes of the burden of disease worldwide. In the UK, they are responsible for the largest burden of disease, 28% of the total burden compared to 16% each for cancer and heart disease. One in four people in the UK will experience a mental health problem in any given year. 10% of children and young people, that's aged between 5 and 16, have a clinically diagnosable mental health problem. So that's just setting the scene. So... What I'm going to touch on is sort of depression, that sort of feeling low about things. And this is, I suppose this is one of the most common sort of mental health disorders. You might call it the the common cold of our emotions. And it'd be nice to think that we, disciples of Jesus Christ, didn't have dark days. Um, that discouragement came only to those around us. But it doesn't happen like that. Uh Looking through the Bible, people we laud as heroes, we find that they had times of despair. In, the, in most of the world, uh, people who are going through these times of despair, they just fight their battle on their own. But God can help if we look to him. So today, we're going to be looking at Elijah. And in order to give you the full story we've got to read the full story if that makes sense um so i am aware of time but we're looking at the we're looking at the lord's word here so this is what matters so we're going to start in first kings and we're going to start in first kings chapter 16 verse 29 um and this is sort of the background just before elijah comes on the scene In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, son of Omri, became king of Israel. And he reigned in Samaria over Israel 22 years. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians. And began to serve Baal and worship him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah pole. And did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than did all the kings of Israel before him. So he's a pretty nasty guy. He's not somebody you want to mess about with. So Fast forward a little bit, we're going into chapter 17. Now Elijah, the Tishbite, from Tishba in Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Leave here, turn eastward and hide in the Kerith ravine east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook. And I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kereth Ravine, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. Sometime later, the brook dried up, because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him. Go at once to Zarephath. In the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Sarafath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid, go home and do as you have said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day of the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah told her. So So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. But the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, What do you have against me, man of God? Do you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying. And said, and and laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I am staying with by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry, and the boy's life returned to him, and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, Look, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. Stop here for a minute. There's a lot sort of going on. Elijah is living in a time where Ahab is ruling he is a vicious ruler there is so much going on and yet he has the strength the courage to sort of go and tell Ahab there's going to be no there's going to be no rain for a few years now I don't know what Ahab thought whether he thought he was nuts Um, I don't know but he had the courage to do that He wasn't known by anybody. He just sort of appears out of nowhere, Elijah. He was not known by the Israelites. And the thing is, just like Elijah, God knew him. God knows us. And although we may not be known by others, God knows you. And that's what's important. Intimacy with God was his power, was Elijah's power. And it should be ours. Our faith should be in the word, not in people or circumstances. And you could quite, I mean, I could sort of say if I was in Elijah's place, I wouldn't be going to Ahab for a start and telling him, you know, listen, it's not going to rain for a number of years. Uh, and it's probably because of your sin. Um, I wouldn't be doing that. The Lord telling me to sort of go out and sort of, I'll be fed by ravens. Well, you know, I don't like the idea of being fed by crows. I mean, who knows where they've been. Um, the point is, it's very easy to read this and think, yeah, it's just happened. But to actually think, you know, what would you do in that situation? And, and Elijah had this incredible faith. And let's continue. In chapter 18. After a long time in the third year, The word of the Lord came to Elijah, go and present yourself to Ahab and I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria and Ahab had summoned Obadiah, his palace administrator. Obadiah was a devout believer in the Lord. While Jezebel was killing off the Lord's prophets, Obadiah had taken a 100 prophets and hidden them in two caves, 15 each. And had supplied them with food and water. Ahab had said to Obadiah, go through the land to all the springs and valleys. Maybe we can find some grass to keep the horses and mules alive so we will not have to kill any of our animals. So they divided the land they were to cover. Ahab going in one direction and Obadiah in another As Obadiah was walking along, Elijah met him. Obadiah recognised him, bowed down to the ground and said, Is it really you, my lord, Elijah? Yes, he replied. Go tell your master Elijah is here. What have I done wrong, asked Obadiah, that you are handing your servant over to Ahab to be put to death? As surely as the Lord your God lives. There is not a nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to look for you. And whenever a nation or kingdom claims you were not there, he made them swear they could not find you. But now you tell me to go to my master and say, Elijah is here. I don't know where the spirit of the Lord may carry you when I leave you. If I go and tell Ahab and he doesn't find you, he will kill me. Yet I, your servant, have worshipped the Lord since my youth. Haven't you heard, my Lord, what I did while Jezebel was killing the prophets of the Lord? I hid a hundred of the Lord's prophets in two caves, 15 each, and supplied them with food and water. And now you tell me to go to my master and say, Elijah is here. He will kill me. Elijah said, as the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve I will surely present myself to Ahab today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him. And Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied. But you and your father's family have. You've abandoned the Lord's commands and you've followed the Baal's. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left. But Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord, the God who answers by fire. He is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first. Since there are so many of you, call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. At noon Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god? Perhaps he's deep in thought, or busy or travelling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. They came to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two sears of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces and laid it on the wood, Then he said to them, fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it the third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel. And that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord. Answer me so these people will know that you, Lord, are God. And that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones and the soil. And also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. Then Elijah commanded them, seize the prophets of Baal, don't let anyone get away. They seized them, and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered there. And Elijah said to Ahab, go, eat, and drink, for there is the sound of a heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink. But Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground, and put his face between his knees Go and look toward the sea, he told his servant. And he went up and looked. There is nothing there, he said. Seven times Elijah said, go back. The seventh time the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds, the wind rose, a heavy rain started falling, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came on Elijah, and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. This is the story that we're all familiar with regarding Elijah. This is the one that that springs to most people's minds. We think of, you know, God's raining down fire, burning up the sacrifice. It is incredible to witness if you were there. This was Elijah's high point. Everyone knew at that point God's hand was upon Elijah. Elijah says, my God is Yahweh. The point is, who are we following? When he's calling... To the rest, of the Israelites, we're saying, "You yeah, make your choice." This was a man that knew God, trusted in God, had faith in God. It's all going incredibly well for him. He's very obedient. Elijah performs miracles. In t- well, through God, he performs miracles in terms of the oil, the flour. He brings a boy back to life. He stops rain. Um, He stood up against the king of Ahab, who was known to be a bad guy. Certain death. He does it. Elijah calls on fire. Brings on rain. Brought the people back to God. And then he ends running faster than a horse. That's what I'm trying to imagine at this point in time. Uh, This is a man of incredible courage, incredible faith, he was able to do such great things because he knew who he was and what God could do. Just as, Peter, just as Jesus saw Peter as a rock and James and John as the sons of thunder, we can't allow circumstances to get in the way. I mean, so many times Elijah could have said, no, I can't do that. The wrong time. I've got it in me. You can't control your circumstances, but you can control who you can become.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Encouraging, merciful, gracious, faithful. Mm-hmm. Yet sometimes things can come our way that throws us off. And this is what we're going to read next in chapter 19. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done. And how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say. May the gods deal with me. Be it ever so severely if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid. And ran for his life. When he came to Bathsheba and Judah he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I know better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. Strengthened by that food, he traveled forty days and forty nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael king of Over Aram." Also anoint Jehu, son of uh, Nimshi, king of over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat from abel to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazael. And Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal. And whose mouths have not kissed him? So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. We'll stop there. From Elijah being on a high, he loses sight of God's power. He doesn't know her and runs away from trouble and God in the process. We could say it was because of Jezebel wanting to kill him. But he was in danger before. Somehow his heart sank. And he ran all the way to Beersheba, the southernmost city in Judah. Beersheba was the end of civilization at that point in time. Beyond it there was nothing but desert. He was getting as far away from the queen as possible there he left a servant perhaps because he didn't intend to come back perhaps because he didn't want his servant to see what he was really like then he went another day's journey into the wilderness alone have you ever gotten so depressed, so hopeless that you didn't want to see anyone you didn't want to see anyone see what you were going through See how down you were. And I think all of us can be like that sometimes. I want you to, to notice four states in Elijah's depression. You call it depression. The first is fear. Elijah was frightened by the threats of Jezebel. He runs for his life. Fear is almost always a factor in depression. Many times, like Elijah, we become afraid of failure, of loneliness, of not getting a job completed, of not making it through school, of not having our marriage go quite the way we'd like to see it. Second, there was failure. Elijah... Held a negative opinion about himself. He felt he was no more successful in checking the nation's apostasy than the prophets who had gone before him. And it's, it's an easy thing. It's easy to think, oh, I'm no good, I'm, I'm incompetent. God made a mistake. third is fatigue Elijah was emotionally drained and physically exhausted he needed rest he needed relaxation depression is always related to or reflected in our physical condition the fourth is futility Elijah said I am the only one left and now they are out to get me He felt alone, hopeless, negative expectations about the future. He was a bit paranoid. He thinks everybody's out to get him. Elijah saw no way out. But that's not where God left him. Perhaps you're feeling a bit like Elijah right now. Maybe You feel a little bit afraid about certain things happening in your life. You feel alone burnt out, a bit hopeless. I want you to see what helped Elijah climb out of the valley of despair and go on to a lifetime of useful service. Because it can help. It can help all of us. Through the experience of Elijah, God gives us some divine principles for dealing with these low periods in our life. God recognised that Elijah needed rest. God didn't say, get a hold of yourself, man. This is sinful attitude. Where's your faith? He didn't respond that way. In answer to Elijah's prayer to die, God just lets him sleep. Then God's angel feeds him and lets him sleep more. Then God sends him down to the desert in the south for 40 days and nights. In all that time, God doesn't say a word. God doesn't offer any counsel. God doesn't set Elijah down and have a face-to-face talk and say, well, actually, you need to do this, 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 and this, and you'll be back on track. In all that time, Elijah is left alone. Elijah's given time to rest and to think. God knew that Elijah needed something straightened out in his life. But he knew the prophet had expended all of his physical energy and was worn out. What Elijah needed was a break. God knew that and allowed the prophet to rest. Now, God never intended these bodies of ours to run like we force them to at times. You and I should never be guilty of laziness. But we should get the rest our bodies need. That's why why God talks about the Sabbath. It's there for our benefit, not for his. When we are rested, we'll accomplish more for God than if we are exhausted physically. Remember, even the Lord Jesus took time to rest. Mark 6.31, it says, Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. When we are in a time of discouragement, depression or doubt, we'll find that the Lord knows just how to meet our need. Often he will deal with a symptom before he deals with a problem, which generally doesn't work well for us because we want the problem solved rather than sort of going back to sort of the whys behind it because he wants us to listen carefully if the Lord had tried to reason with Elijah when he was exhausted hungry and depressed nothing would have been accomplished Therefore, the Lord met him, dealt with his symptoms and then moved on to to take care of his greatest need. You see, what you're dealing with right now may not, well, may not be your real problem. But the Lord will deal with you where you are at at that point in time.
1: He might get
0: you into a position where you can hear him better. He does have a way of getting our attention, I found. Oh. Secondly, God had Elijah tell him what the problem was. Mm-hmm. A bit of a counseling session, I suppose. Mm-hmm. God asked Elijah, "What are you doing here, Elijah?" Mm-hmm. God didn't ask this question just once. He asked Elijah that same question two times. Mm-hmm. "What are you doing here?" Mm-hmm. Didn't God know? Well, of course he did. Mm-hmm. He'd sent Elijah to the mountain. But Elijah needed to vocalise what was wrong in his life. Elijah needed to explain what he thought the problem was. And once Elijah verbalised his belief of what was wrong, then things happened. God knew that the root of the problem had to be dealt with. While Elijah stood in the cave on Mount Horeb, the Lord passed by. What the earthquake and the fire could not do, the small, still voice did. It touched Elijah's heart. Elijah was used to the... He was used to seeing incredible things, you know, all these miracles that sort are of going on. He was used to the remarkable. He was used to the astounding. After all, who else was fed by ravens? Who else saw God feed three people with a barrel... And a jug of oil that never ran out. Who else had seen God raise someone from the dead? Who else had rebuked a king and lived? Who else had defied 450 Baal prophets, prayed fire down from heaven, and then killed the prophets? Elijah is used to the spectacular. That's what he's used to. God wants to teach him that it is God's work in the heart. Of the individual. That is really important. The power of God. In the word of God. And in the work of his spirit. In the hearts. Of men and women. I think we can be guilty of the same thing. We're expecting you know. uh, We're expecting great things. Uh, We get really excited. When we see a church growing. People getting saved. Shouting and all the wonderful things. We all like to see. We get fired up. We talk about how the Lord is moving. However, we forget that God doesn't always move in big, visible, outward manifestations. If we listen closely, draw near to Him, get very close, I know that we will hear what God is saying. Here God is calling Elijah back to the place of total surrender. To what he was like before, where he just had that faith, Mm -hmm. to the place where nothing was greater in his sight than the Lord God. Mm -hmm. Because what Elijah had allowed was to allow the likes of Ahab, Jezebel, and the sins of the people eclipse God. And that's what we can do. We can allow things around us to eclipse God. To sort of we 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 have shutters. Where we just see, we don't see the big picture. We don't see what God is trying to do in our lives. And that's something that I've had to sort of battle with. God calls him back to that place where nothing but God matters. Often the greatest works of God are done in the secret places of the heart. That nobody else sees. God sees, you see. As God speaks... As as God speaks to and grows the individual, his glory is revealed in ways that it could not be done otherwise. Third, God dealt with the false beliefs, the false ideas that were fueling Elijah's depression. Jesus said, the truth shall set you free. Why is that? Well, because false ideas, false beliefs, especially false ideas about God... A power to put us in bondage. Our lives are built around what we think is true about life. And if the foundations of that reasoning are based on wrong information or impressions, the result can be devastating, it can wreck our lives. Elijah replied to God and said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Hidden in the midst of this statement was an accusation. I've been beating my head against the wall serving you, Lord, but everything seems to be falling apart around me. What have you been doing, God? How come you've let this happen? And so God corrects Elijah's thinking. He tells him, Elijah, you're not the only one. I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and all whose mouths have not kissed him. Elijah, from the one statement, is given incredible hope and encouragement. Just as we are not the only ones uh, today who are sort of following God. There are many others around the world. It brings encouragement when we know that. When we know we're not just the only ones. You aren't alone either. Whether it's discouragement, depression, sin or anything else you wish to name. Others have been through it and are going through it as well. Even if no human comfort can be found, the Lord knows what you were going through and is ever-present to help you through any crisis you might find in life. So God allowed Elijah to rest. He got him to tell him what was wrong. And he corrected some of his false thinking and beliefs. And lastly, God gave Elijah something to do. When God finished his counselling session with Elijah... Elijah was still in a bit of a complaining mood. But God basically tells him, get back to work. I've got a job for you to do. Make yourself useful. Stop focusing on yourself and focus on others. So the Lord, he says, go back the same way you came. Go to the desert, Damascus. When you were there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha to succeed you as prophet." And there is something about being useful that lifts one spirit. I always think of Thomas the tank engine when I think of so usefulness. He's got this sort of key phrase My son loves Thomas, and it's sort of his key phrase is I've been good because I've been useful. Being useful, there is something good about it. God knows what we need. Elijah is given evidence that the Lord was not finished with his life. He's not finished with our lives. He encourages Elijah with a new task. And in the process giving him a new companion in Elisha. God knew that the burdens that Elijah carried were too heavy for him to bear alone. So he gave him a confidant. A friend up here. He gave him one to walk beside him. Through the valleys and through the difficulties. Notice that God told Elijah to meet three people. Notice also that Elisha is the first one Elijah meets. God puts this man into the prophet's life to help him along his way. And we all need that in our lives. Proverbs 27, verse 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Basically, we do not need to cut ourselves off from other people. We need friends. We need companions To go through life with. We're lucky in the church. We have that. And if you don't, pray to God for somebody like that in your life. Because we need it. That's what we need to sort of go through and carry our burdens. To have a friend who hurts with you. Who will help you bear life's loads. Who will pray with you, cry with you. And even when they don't understand you, will still love you that happens a lot (laughs) Um, if you're not as I say if you haven't got that person find that person pray to God for that person I want to end with you know just a statement that psychiatrists and psychologists and pills can do many amazing things for people suffering but for real healing it's hard to beat God Amen.